Welcome to the Blue Economy Podcast, presented by Rhode Island, the Ocean State. I'm your host, David Hirschman, and we're coming to you remotely again today via Zoom to interview Laura Foley-Ramsden, the owner of Foley Fish, which operates in Boston and New Bedford. Laura is the fourth generation of her family to run the company, and she and her husband, Peter Ramsden, oversee operations, host the Foley School of Fish, and advise customers on their seafood programs. Welcome, Laura. Let's get started with just an overview of your business. You know, I know Foley has been around for 114 years. Um, tell me a little bit about the history, how you operate, and kind of what you guys specialize in. Sure. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Um, we are a fourth-generation seafood processor. We were founded by my great-grandfather in 1906. He was an immigrant from the county Tipperary, Ireland, and uh, the business has been in our family since then. It was... Um, then taken over by my grandfather, then my parents, and then Peter and I bought the business about uh, 15 years ago um, to start the fourth generation. We specialize in all-natural seafood. Um, We ship fish to specialty retailers, uh, fine dining restaurants, resorts, um, basically anyone who is quality-minded and wants an all-natural product. we put buyers in the ports every day um, to buy fish specifically to order, which makes us a little different than a distributor who kind of just brings it in and then has it on shelves. We're actually talking to our customers, getting their orders, and then going out and getting the fish every day and cutting it to order. So it's all very um, custom for our customers because we really believe that the flavor and freshness belongs on the plate of the end user, not sitting in some warehouse. So. Um, uh, that's kind of in, in a nutshell what we do. It's um, mostly fresh fish, shellfish, um, and, and smoked fish. And, how, you know, so in the past 15 years since you guys took over, how has the industry changed in that time, do you think? Um, well, we've definitely seen different things in terms of um, fishery management. Um, we've launched um, a new website. Um, we have um, definitely seen a consolidation of the market in terms of uh, more restaurant groups rather than in independent restaurateurs. So um, more com- more demand for things like portions versus uh, people taking a whole fillet and butchering or even a whole fish and butchering it in their own restaurant. So really across the spectrum, um, there have been subtle changes that have made our uh, business a little different, but essentially the same, but um, little nuances that have made it different. Even, you know, even before the COVID-19 crisis that we're in now, um, the fish industry was navigating some challenges. Yes. Uh, but now with obviously restaurants are all closed and people are kind of hunkering down in their homes. Um, and I understand seafood demand has fallen dramatically. Um, tell me a little bit about how the crisis has impacted your business specifically. And then kind of, you know, what do you think are some of the implications for the, you know, the business generally? Sure. Um, so the, um, the, the, uh, you know, definitely it impacted us greatly, right? So we lost 85% of our customers overnight. Um, We ship into 38 states um, once a week to Singapore. Um, We're small, you know, we're a small business, but we do sort of go into um, markets and say, listen, who should we partner with that would really appreciate fresh quality seafood that doesn't pass through a distributor? 
um, you know, sort of dispersing direct. And so when you had the entire country shut down overnight, you know, normally if there's a storm in Boston, Florida is still a business, or if there's, um, you know, Florida's quiet, we've got the Cape and Newport, now the entire country's shut down. So um, we uh, shut down temporarily our Boston facility. Um, we are operating all of our processing out of New Bedford. Um, we have some specialty retail customers locally um, and, um, you know, in, in Boston, the Boston area in Connecticut, um, a few fish markets down in Florida that um, are kind of keeping us going, thankfully. But, um, uh, no, it was certainly challenging and um, uh, scary. <laughs> and it, it's interesting, you know, we, uh, we were laughing that we've gone four generations from fish peddling to fish peddling because back in the day, my great-grandfather started by literally calling on the um, mansions in the back bay because he was Irish and all the maids were Irish. So he'd call on them all to say, can I sell you fish to feed these, the Brahmin families of Boston? And now we've pivoted to um, going direct door-to-door selling in um, uh, locally in Rhode Island. And then just last week, um, uh, nationally, um, so direct home delivery. So that's kind of been our pivot um, that that we've tried to do, um, you know, amidst lo- losing eighty five percent of our business. Are you sending fewer boats out? Obviously, or I mean, like you're, you're catching fewer fish in general. Yeah. So I saw um, you'd ask that question, and we actually don't um, own any boats um, by design. The boats will go out from five to seven to nine to fourteen to sometimes it's a longer, like sword trips, twenty-one days. And we've always been sort of the cherry pickers, so we only want the fish that's twenty-four to forty-eight hours out of the water, and we pay a little extra for the right to kind of be at the chute as the boats are unloading to get that fish. So we don't because we don't use chemicals, we don't have a home for nine-day-old fish that could go through a brine tank or, you know, a gas tuna or any of that. So um, we don't. What we have seen in the difference of the mix is that definitely logistics are impacting what is coming in. So a lot of flights have been canceled. So you're not seeing the European fish. You know, we used to do, um, you know, Dover soles and Dorads and turbot, but there's also not a calling for that. And um, you were asking about seafood usage going down. You know, a lot of retailers just took seafood out in general because they needed that labor to stock toilet paper and Purell and all those things. So even our retail customers, some of them have gone to tray pack, so they're not bringing in whole fish or they're not bringing in shellfish. So the variety has uh, definitely changed. But on the bright side is that the big processors that are dealing with like the big box retailers, they're still, you know, needing fish. And so that is really keeping the fishermen still fishing. Um, So we are still seeing like, I literally was just on the plant floor and there were the most beautiful um, monkfish out there and skate and um, redfish. And so it's, it's nice to see that because the big guys are still needing fish, that the boats are still able to have, um, a, a, you know, there's still some demand out there. What, what are some of the maybe longer term decisions that this has forced you to think about? I mean, just in terms of kind of your own supply chain and kind of processes, like, you know, uh, obviously, like, this is the first time that this has happened in a long time, but all, it, it poses a question of like, what could happen? What else could happen like this? Yeah. You know? Well, it's interesting, you know, I felt like because we do have two facilities, we were uniquely prepared. Um, So it was um, great, like our systems could integrate. And, um, you know, that's 
that's been excellent so that people can remotely enter for Boston customers or New Bedford customers. Um, our sales team can be, you know, working remotely. So I feel like um, in that sense that we were well prepared for um, having this happen and, and kind of going downsizing appropriately without without having to um, diminish our service to our customers. Um, but it's definitely, I mean, this whole idea of shipping direct to the consumer, I never in a million years thought that anyone would buy frozen fish. And I put, I mean, I get it that people buy frozen fish, but in any sort of, you know, realistic demand, especially in Rhode Island, where people are so used to fresh. And I put something on a COVID-19 Facebook page just for our town. And literally within 40 minutes, I had a hundred orders of people saying, give me, um, that's amazing that you're going to drop a healthy protein that's been, you know, fresh frozen. Like literally it's coming off the line. I, I literally was just out wrapping the salmon that came off the line. Um, you know, it goes in our minus 80 plate freezer and then, um, it's turned around. Like I'll be delivering that salmon tomorrow. And, um, I just, that is something that we were not ever expecting to be a market for us. And it's been something that's interesting. Now, what we have to think about is scaling that, right? And so me packing fish and, um, and you know, members of our sales team are pitching in the packing fish. That isn't um, ideal if you're trying to scale it to something that's going to in any way make up for the restaurant business that we've lost in the short term. You really need things like machines to do that. Um, and those machines cost a lot of money. And that's not... Um, you know, we have to make sure that this is real demand, not just COVID-19 demand. And if you're doing something like, you know, delivery, do you, you just use all of your existing trucks and infrastructure and just kind of put them on it? <laughs> so um, the for the local deliveries, it has been the um, Foley Ramston family. Our two daughters are home from college and um, I take a van and Peter takes a van. My husband is the co-owner and we um, stop and pick up, we each pick up a daughter and they're outfitted in all their fully gear and gloves and masks. And um, we, you know, divide up our territories and we do family drops of fully fish. And it's been, it's been a great, we have a son too, and he's actually in isolation in Madrid getting his master's. So he's missing out on all the fun of family deliveries, but um, it's been, you know, a silver lining to get the fifth generation involved in um, appreciating kind of what we do. Do you have any kind of advice for other folks in the food industry and not necessarily just in uh, sea, seafood on how to create new revenue streams like this and stay operational? I mean, I, you know, how did you, I guess, come up with this idea of like, okay, like let's replace some of the demand elsewhere, you know? So it's interesting. Um, I spent the summer because we have friends that are um, entrepreneurial and they had recommended listening to how I built this. So all summer long, I was listening to that podcast and really thinking about um, filling a need, like what is the need that's out there that we could fill that would be additional to our business. And um, I think that that's what uh, other people should be doing is really thinking about where the need is. And this is honest to God, a friend texted me and said, I've got all my kids home, they're craving fresh fish, can I place a delivery? And I thought that is true of everyone I know has kids coming out of New York and kids coming out of Boston. And they, they all wanted a healthy protein and they didn't want to have to go to the grocery store. Um, and so it, I was like, wow. And then there were also just all over the radio, just funny things about the husbands going to the grocery store and coming back with like 
Captain Crunch and pasta and, you know, chocolate. And I mean, not to put the dads under the bus. I loved grocery shopping with my own dad, but it, um, it, it said to me, wow, people are really saying, I don't want to gain 50 pounds on quarantine. Is there a way to get a healthy protein um, into their um, homes? And that that's, I guess, what I would say is just really pay attention to what's happening around you because it literally was just these little signs that were adding up that said, oh, we could actually do this. Well, how, how do you see the kind of the recovery stage of the crisis playing out? I mean, that, for you and also sort of, I guess, just for for restaurant customers and, and kind of, you know, yeah, it seems from, from this vantage point that it might take a long time for people to feel comfortable not being socially distant. And so what, what effect could that potentially have on you guys? So it's funny. I was just talking to one of the gentlemen that's down from our sales force helping um, wrap salmon is a account manager, but he was a former chef. And we were talking about, you know, coming back and that probably, you know, places that are clubs, I'm not sure people are going to die to go be sweaty in a club of, you know, 500 people, but the idea of restaurants coming back at some capacity rather than full capacity might be a good way to do it. I think that as you look at maps, there are pockets of areas that could reopen um, safely, potentially. I do, I am a huge, um, every day I look at the New York Times Corona map um, and they do by state and the rate of, um, uh, cases. And you are seeing most states heading into the sort of, it's dark orange to gray of no new cases. And you are seeing, you know, uh, outside of, I don't want to miss say, misquote, but seven or eight, maybe nine states, it's very, the cases are very minimal and they've already had their dark orange and they're going into their gray. So uh, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that um, we could see some reopening. Um, but of course that's mixed with a lot of hope as well. Yeah. Um, how, so how about sort of the fish industry sort of more, more broadly, um, yeah. what do you think are some of the factors that you think uh, might determine how well a, a particular business gets through the crisis and then I guess the industry in general? I think that there are, um, things like conservative management that makes a difference. Um, my dad, um, came back into the business and my grandfather put him in the freezer for two years. And he said, you know, I probably could do a little more with it. He had gone to Harvard and um, back when uh, he would tell you it's, it was a lot easier to get in. Um, but he said, you know, I can probably do better with this degree. So he actually went into banking for 10 years. And because he was a commercial lender, he always, always, always hammered the company um, on receivables. And so we've been really tight with our receivables. That's I know I'm giving you a long answer, um, but it, I think that companies that were strict with their accounts um, receivable will do better um, because that's definitely going to be an issue, right? Is um, cash flow and um, and whether restaurants that um, can can really survive, um, you know. The people who were were good about paying their bills and um, and you know seafood companies and other vendors that had customers that were good about paying their bills. I think that will make a difference um, in in who who survives this. Do you think so? You know, I was thinking about the sort of fish po- the potential effects of this on fish populations. If you know, if there's eighty percent, your business has gone down eighty percent, then there's potentially like a lot more fish that are going to stay in the ocean and spawn and create more fish. And so, would this? Do you think this could have a potentially positive effect on kind of fish populations? 
Um, so when they set the, I was a fishery manager for the state of Massachusetts um, for federally, but nominated um, by Governor Patrick for three years. So I know more than you'll ever want to hear about um, uh, the whole catch share system and um, you know, they set these annual catch limits now. So um, state fisheries are a little different. So these guys could miss the window on Tautog and then they're not going to be allowed to fish for it again. Um, so that is kind of a bummer. These state fisheries, the way they kind of have these openings and closings, but federal fisheries are managed under a annual catch limit. And um, so that's a year long um ACL it's called and there's a triple buffer in place to make sure they don't overfish it and honestly they actually underfish the ACLs on most species every year um, so I don't I, I think it's going to be a temporary um, thing and I think that it is not going to be so much that that um, that all of a sudden we'll see so many more fish in, in a in a great rebound of certain fisheries because they're not fishing for six weeks because again it's an annual um uh, catch limit and so like the scallopers for instance like you know they'll just not take as many trips right now like i was talking to a guy who unloads boats and he's like yeah i've got 20 boats but i'm only gonna have 10 fish right now he's staggering it because he doesn't want demand to fall but i don't think it's going to be like like the pictures of um uh areas where there's no smog now and it's amazing like things are blooming that have never bloomed before I don't see that. The only thing you could see is maybe, um, you know, if the boats aren't fishing as much, like, you know, it's better for habitat. So you're not seeing as many nets in the water for a six week period. Yeah, maybe that will be a minuscule thing. But again, because it is sort of set on an annual limit, I think that they're not going to leave their quota unfished. They need to do it to stay, stay in business. Are they, do you think they're going to change the seasons at all for various species or the, any of the windows or is it just sort of, you know? You know, I'm curious what the state of Rhode Island, for instance, um, I was talking to, um, it, we work with Andrade's Catch, who's an amazing um, shell fisherman in Bristol, and he has um, some small boats that will fish for Tautog and he called us. He said, my guys, they really want to fish, but do you have anywhere to, you know, sell the Tautog? And like, no, because the retailers don't take the Tautog and our restaurants are all closed. And so I was thinking about that. I was like, all right, well, if the state of Rhode Island has a Tautog opening and I, I, I don't want to misspeak, but just say it's April 15th to May 15th. Are they going to push that to like a June 15th to July? I would hope so, but I, I don't know. That's a good question for Janet Coit at DEM. One thing I probably should have emphasized is um, just steps that we're taking as a food manufacturer during COVID-19 um, because people are afraid, right? And so just making sure that they, that um, when you were asking me about changes, I probably should have mentioned that we are, you know, uh, we are, we've always been um, uh, an SQF um, food safety audited plant. And as you know, measures like where we literally interview each person every day on their healthfulness to be on the plant floor. Um, uh, we are adding masks to the, um, you know, daily garb on top of the hair nets and beard nets. Um, we have gloves. We've always, you know, always had gloves, but adding gloves to our um, gloves and masks to our drivers. So really um, working as hard as we can to keep people safe. And, um, you know, that's definitely something that's under consideration to us. It's 
you know, a lot of people are quarantining and you see a lot of um, things on Netflix uh, about like, all we're asking you to do is stay home and watch Netflix. But for our guys, they're actually, you know, they're coming to work every day. And um, so we want to, you know, make sure we're keeping them safe. So I, I probably should go to that. Yeah. One thing I've often wondered about the fishing industry is that it, it seems like such a, um, it seems sort of random how much, like, how can you like figure out exactly how much you're going to get in a given day? You know, basically the, like the guys don't know what they're going to come back with and or even what species they're going to come back with. And so how do you project against that? Or how do you create sort of a business model, not quite knowing what's out there, you know? Well, I think that, I mean, that's definitely a concern with the recent fishery management measures that have created consolidation. Cause then you're like, Oh shoot, if there aren't as many boats fishing, how can I be sure of supply? Um, uh, but you know, we're in touch with the people that are unloading the boats enough to know what's coming and what's not coming. And as much as it seems random, these guys have been doing it for a lot of generations. They have, um, pretty sophisticated equipment now. So they, the fish, they know, you know, we're, we're definitely going to see a lot of deep sea Gulf of Maine fish in, you know, December, January, February. And we're going to, um, uh, you know, see the local swordfish run in the, the fall months. So there is some seasonality and regularity to all of it. Of course, like today, no one, you know, it's blowing a million miles an hour, you know, up to 70 mile an hour gusts. That's going to impact supply. And we're going to have to say to customers, sorry, we don't have. X, Y, or Z because of that. But um, it's it's more um, systematic than you might guess only because it is a you know centuries-old industry. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Blue Economy Podcast presented by Rhode Island, the Ocean State. And thanks again for bearing with us as we continue to work on mastering these remote recording processes. And finally, thanks again to Laura Ramsden for taking the time. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to learn more about the podcast, catch up on past episodes, or shoot us a note with your comments, head to our website, www.blueeconomypodcast.com, or look us up on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. In Providence, Rhode Island, I'm your host, David Hirschman. Thanks for listening.